Hello, and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I am your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and joining me today for what promises to be quite the amazing episode is none other than Darren Schaefer of the Cooper Vortex. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Thomas. I, as soon as I started formulating this season, for lack of a better word, of High Tea Obsessed, I was like, I want to talk about D.B. Cooper. Because it's a super cool story, and the aftermath of it is even cooler in somehow. And it's, you know, it's the perfect kind of crime. Maybe not technically a heist, but heist adjacent at least. Oh, it's totally a heist. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure if someone wanted to, like, argue with the technicalities. But, you know, the expert says heist, I'm going to say heist. And I thought no one better than you to have on, because you've talked to everyone almost, it seems like. If not actually everyone that has anything to say about the Cooper case. Um, you've read everyone at the very least, and you're like the go-to guy, so super stoked. Thanks for having me on. So if you don't have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, you mind jumping right in? Yeah, let's party. Okay. So first and foremost, would you mind going over the basics of this D.B. Cooper story, the Norjack case? Yeah, no problem. So November 24th, 1971, a man in his mid to late 40s walks into the Portland International Airport, PDX. He purchases a one-way ticket to Seattle. The gate agent asks him, and this is the only identification you need at the time. The gate agent says, what's your name? He says his name is Cooper, Dan Cooper, just like James Bond would say. He's then one of the last to board the plane. He sits in seat uh, 18D. And then shortly before takeoff, he hands the stewardess a note. She assumes it's just another businessman hitting on her. So she puts that note away in her purse. He sits down, he leans over and says, Miss, you better have a look at that note. I have a bomb. So she takes a look at this note. And uh, D.B. Cooper hijacking the plane. He's got a bomb in his briefcase. And he wants $200,000 and four parachutes by five o'clock in Seattle. So they end up giving him exactly what he wants. They're in the ground in Seattle. He gets his stuff. He lets the passengers off. And then he has some very specific instructions for the flight crew. He wants to be flown to Mexico. He wants the landing gear down, the flap set to 15 degrees, the cabin to remain unpressurized. The plane will fly at 10,000 feet and no faster than 200 miles an hour. The pilots, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So the pilots, one of the things Cooper wants is that he wants the aft stairs down on this plane and the pilots aren't even sure if the plane can fly with the aft stairs down so cooper obviously knows more about this plane than the people flying the plane do so they tell him you know under the conditions he's asking for they can't make it to mexico city so they agree to refuel in reno the plane takes off and then lands in reno and db cooper is not on it compelling stuff wild story mm -hmm. And after the uh, like the FBI people, dogs, the whole nine searched the plane, right? And he's not there for sure. Like, there's no way he was hiding. No, I I absolutely hate that theory that he was somehow hiding on the plane. Right. The plane lands in Reno. The aft stairs are down. He's not on board. His briefcase isn't on board. The money's not on board. They search the plane with dogs. The FBI is there. He's not in there. There's not a bunch of extra space in airplanes to right. hide stuff. They're using every inch of space available. We assume he jumped off. He must have or fell, pushed, whatever. Exited the plane while in flight at his specifications. And like you said, the assumption based on the aft stare thing, it seems like in particular, is that he knew a lot about this specific type of plane. And so, yeah, I mean, the pilots didn't even know if the plane could fly. He mm -hmm. wanted to take off with the aft stairs down. And they said, I'm sorry, we're not going to do that in a plane full of fuel. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And he says, you can take off with the stairs down. I'm not going to argue it. I'll just lower them in flight. So he had this sort of weird knowledge, or so it seems, of this plane that wasn't available. 
I mean, the pilots call in air traffic control, aircraft, air traffic control. They have no idea if the plane can fly. Mm. They call Boeing and Boeing tells them, yes, this plane can fly with the stairs down. So at first, I like just because I've been into DB Cooper in this case, but only like casually. I've not been sucked into the vortex yet, but I'm a little bit worried I will be. So I at first I was just like, okay, the aft stair thing, everyone brings it up all the time. He must have some expert knowledge. And I was like, maybe he just, you know, when you're don't know any maybe he didn't know anything about airplanes and he was just like, I'll just, you know, the stairs doesn't really matter, we can do it. But all the other things like flying at ten thousand feet, no more than two hundred miles per hour, and depressurizing the cabin. That's very compelling to me that he was at least like had knowledge i like at least book knowledge of what he was asking for oh i totally agree i mean every once in a while you see the fbi say or suggest that he was a novice a novice parachutist um even if he was a novice parachutist he obviously knew quite a bit about what the plane could do so even just based on that knowledge i wouldn't assume he was right and also just a regular guy. Oh, maybe I could jump out of the back of this plane. Right. Also, even if their reasoning for him being a novice seems to be that the conditions were bad and no one that knows anything about skydiving would jump out in those conditions. But when it's like jumping out under dicey conditions and you are you know about skydiving or prison or like death, who knows what, I think you would jump out of the airplane. Yeah, if he doesn't jump out of the plane, I mean, he's basically in an aluminum jail cell to Reno. So one of the reasons that this story has taken on such a life is that he was ne- he's never been found, and only like one trace of him has been found, and that's the money at Tina Bar. Is that correct? That's correct. So the D.B. Cooper story begins when he boards the plane, and it ends theoretically when he jumps out. I mean, the last time Tina Mucklow saw him, he was putting a parachute on mm-hmm. when he told her to go up into the cabin. And that was and that was a military suit our parachute right that's correct okay, so he couldn't steer it i guess nope it was a round canopy okay so i've talked to a bunch of parachutists and military dudes and you can sort of guide that mm-hmm. by pulling some strings if you know what you're doing but it's not steerable okay so if you're about to land you can you pull some strings and maybe dodge an obstacle but it's not steerable okay so that brings me to my first sort of question do you think that Cooper survived the jump? Hell yeah. Okay. I definitely think he survived. Is that because it's like a romantic idea that he survived and has been on the lamb the whole time? Or do you like evidence-based think he survived? Both. Okay. I definitely want him to survive. Mm-hmm. But um, Marty Andrade's book, Finding D.B. Cooper, Chasing the Last Lead, that book absolutely convinced me he survived the jump because he compares World War II bailouts of planes being shot down mm-hmm. or running out of fuel mechanical air or whatever uh, in world war ii and those soldiers survivability after jumping out of the plane and something like 94 percent in that book uh mm-hmm. survived that jump in conditions that were way worse than what cooper had i mean your plane shot down maybe you had classroom training on how to use your bailout rig mm-hmm. uh, and you're over terrible conditions maybe you're over water woods enemy territory that was one of the things i was thinking is uh watching like band of brothers they all survived you know yeah. jumping out and so i was like okay it's a little rainy and dark but a lot of people assume or have used evidence to suggest that he was in vietnam special forces even special forces even so like you know if he's used to jumping in adverse conditions a little rain's not going to do anything no and all the people i've talked to they all say it's a survivable jump mm-hmm. uh, expert parachutists i talked to a navy seal and pj um they're like yeah no problem you could do that no problem i recently uh interviewed a dude who had jumped from a 727 when they had it at some like world skydive event he's like you know for mm-hmm. 200 bucks you could jump out of it and he's like, it was no problem. I thought it was going to be this crazy, you know, tailwind from the plane and you get turbulence or something. But he said, no, it was no problem. Hmm. But he said it was very loud. But so if that's the case, he did survive the jump. You know, he's good. He's kicking around maybe to this day even. Why is the money not in circulation? I've listened to, I think, like around 10 of your episodes. And that 
is like one of the sticking points is uh, the currency expert you had on is confident, very sure it would have made it back. And that's even if he had like spent the money in a different country, right? Like he t- gets the money and goes to like France or something like that. Oh, yeah. And Arthur Friedberg was the dude's mm-hmm. name, a numismatist, which is a combination of like collector and historian of currencies. And there is no more accomplished dude when it comes to U.S. currency mm-hmm. than this guy. And I was lucky to have him on the show. And he just, it was almost like he was bursting my bubble mm-hmm. by coming on the show. Cause I thought, oh yeah, Cooper could have spent the money. I was pretty confident of that. And I said so in the show many times. And then I have had him on and now it's like, I don't know if I could say that anymore. I had him on and he's like, you know, you have over 9,000 bills inter circulation that we're looking for. And at the time, a 20 was equal to what a hundred would be today. Okay. So it was a lot of you, money. Like you would notice that. You would notice that. And to have 9,000 of them that you're looking for, and he said the odds that none of them ever turned up, he said, tells him he's positive that that money never entered circulation. And it, just his confidence and his knowledge, it, I almost didn't have anything to say back to him because it's like, well, I, I don't know as much as you about this, mm-hmm. and but I don't like what you're saying to me. Right, because that instantly, it's like, I mean, best case, I guess he lost the money in the jump. But then if he survived with the money, it's like, what was the point of all this? Which I think like narrows the suspects down. If it's he survived the jump with the money intact, it's no longer like anyone that needed money. Yeah, and there are a few suspect theories, you know, where they don't need the money and that's, mm-hmm. they just throw it away. But still weird. I mean, if the money never enters circulation, if it gets lost in the jump, I think some of it would have been found. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were hiking through the woods or hunting and you stumbled across, let's say, $10,000 cash today. Right. I mean, you would be like, yeah, this money's mine now. I just found this in the woods. And then you'd spend it. And then that would have shown up in circulation at some point. I mean, that's what Arthur basically convinced me of. Or mm-hmm. he gets away with most of the money, but doesn't spend it. Like burns it or something. Yeah. Because like, it was in a safety deposit box somewhere. Right. That was, I was trying to think of ways that criminals maybe were... It has only been in criminal hands for the last 50 years. But that doesn't... like. Even still, you know, criminals have real people expenses too. Dude, when was the last time you saw an old 20? Long time. I, I haven't seen one in forever. The one time money was recovered, they immediately tried to bring it to a bank, even though it was in pretty poor shape, right? Yeah, they wanted to, uh, you know, <laughs> they wanted the cash, as mm-hmm. anyone would. And one of their friends told them, oh, that could be D.B. Cooper's money. And they they didn't know the story. Mm-hmm. And so they, they looked into it and and then went to see if there was a reward for doing it. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting in this battle with the FBI and insurance company and ended up getting some of the money in the end. That's you know, kind of a happy story, I guess. And, but that's, but, that's the only evidence uh, of D.B. Cooper since mm-hmm. November 24th, 1971. And mm-hmm. that was found by eight-year-old Brian Ingram in 1980. Have you had him at all? at all or try to contact him in any way no but he's going to be at CooperCon. oh that's um, pretty cool yeah this november 20th 20th and 21st CooperCon, 2021 go get your tickets and i'll talk to him and i'm very hopeful that he'll be on the show that's cool that's awesome yeah but that's I'll like the only thing which i think is also compelling that he survived the jump because uh as you've said several times on your show the area isn't as remote as it seems like the FBI and other people try to make it out and some evidence, whether it's the parachute, his, maybe not like his body, but his, the clothes, something would have probably been found by now. Right. Oh, definitely. I mean, that area is very well tracked. Logging mm-hmm. projects have gone on there and a lot of hunting in that area, people marching through the woods, um, not to mention, you know, there was hundreds of national guard and volunteers and law enforcement officers that stomped through the area looking for him right and that was only several months later so like 
clothes wouldn't have rotted by then, even if his body, like his bones were removed and eaten and stuff. Oh, yeah. It would have been in snow most of that time. So they would have found mm-hmm. him pretty well preserved. Right. And it's not like an area known for missing people, right? No, no, not at all. So, yeah, it's just it does seem like D.B. Cooper got out of that plane, somehow sur- has survived and no evidence has been found. So given that, do you think he was some sort of master criminal or lucky? That's a really good question. So different theories are, you know, it was he wrote it down on a cocktail napkin and then performed it. And others, he is an absolute master criminal and planned mm-hmm. this or special forces getting getting it back to the man. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I had uh, Tim Collins on my show and he made a really good point. I've repeated this several times that would you look at the Mona Lisa and think, oh, that must be that dude's first painting? No, he's done some more work before that that led to this. So I don't know if that's true uh, as far as being a criminal. I think, you know, every once in a while a criminal does get away with it. Mm -hmm. But the special forces angle, I think, is also really compelling. Right, because that's some level of like highly like a high level of planning, carrying out an operation under the most stressful circumstances. So even right. if he it was his first crime, it's not his first high level operation. Right. And there was some CIA stuff going on mm-hmm. um in Vietnam at the time with 727s dropping cargo and potentially people out of planes that would look like commercial aircraft. So you were saying on your fiftieth episode that the FBI in like the eight years after the the nine years after the incident but before the money was recovered at Tina Bar had exhausted all of the leads that they had, even the most outlandish, crazy ones. A hundred percent. The FBI files are out. I mean, you can go to mm-hmm. the FBI's vault and they have like 63 volumes of D.B. Cooper out now. So you can read. I mean, it's like tens of thousands of pages and notes from everything. You know, if someone calls in with a tip that their neighbor was Cooper... They had to write that down, put that in the file. But you can see some of these notes from 74, 76, 78, where they're looking for ideas. I mean, there are literally no tape. Um, does anyone have any new ideas for the D.B. Cooper case? What can we do now? Where mm-hmm. do we go? We've exhausted these leads. Right. And that's because, you know, like the FBI isn't the intricate, well-oiled machine especially at that time under um hoover when he's like a weird crazy dictator basically discouraged efficiency we know now um like they had a lot of struggles working together specifically which with an interstate case is not great and so it's just like the case basically went cold within 10 years and citizen sleuths have taken it up since which i think is what makes this story so compelling to me is not only the story itself, which is like super cool. This guy, cool as a cucumber, uh, they say, jumped out of an airplane, made off with $200,000, was never caught. And then if you don't talk to a currency expert, you're like, dude, just made off with $200,000. He spent it. He's been living large ever since, especially $200,000 in 1971. That's like a fast stack of cash. Yeah, it's but, like $1.25 million today. Yeah, so, you know, he was chilling. And ever since, we've had, you've said like, Thousands of uh, leads the FBI has searched. Dozens of people on their deathbed have claimed to be D.B. Cooper. And all manner of people have come forward that their uncle, their brother, their father, like what have you. They they know like their neighbor's cousin, whoever was D.B. Cooper. And that's what's so interesting is like all these people want to be associated with D.B. Cooper in some way. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that has to do with that. His his real victims were an airline and an insurance company, the people right. who paid that money. And getting that money along the way, he never stabbed anyone. He never mm-hmm. shot anyone. His his bomb, whether it was real or not, never blew up and, and killed a bunch of people and destroyed an airplane. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have a lot of guilt in the story for, for the victims in this case. You don't even have to have a lot of guilt in being interested in the case because a lot of these stories like the zodiac or like any serial killer at the end of the day like you're doing these deep dives into not only super dark subjects but also there's like you've got to feel like a little bit dirty when you're like podcasts and stuff and it's like i'm making 
a production of people's pain type of thing. And with D.B. Cooper, there's none of that. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument a little bit for Tina Mucklow, I guess, that mm-hmm. this is damaging. But I think the publicity of the case and, and people bugging her was more damaging than what transpired in the five hours mm-hmm. that she was with the so it really lets you get away with that sort of Robin Hood that he yeah. robbed from the rich. Uh, he didn't give it to the poor, but uh, yeah, he gave it to the fire or the woods yeah. or what have you. Buried it. Yeah, and in Portland and Seattle, there is that you know root for the rebel and that sort mm-hmm. of outlaw lifestyle and mentality. So it was a good place for that to happen to be transformed into a folk hero. Right, especially deep in like the Vietnam era, distrust of government. Like that's the perfect era for this suave con man to like get away with the perfect crime yeah and i mean he introduces himself like james bond and he's mm-hmm. drinking bourbon and soda and smoking cigarettes the stewardess is lighting his cigarettes for him mm-hmm. i mean it really is like this charming gentleman criminal wearing a suit gets away with it without hurting anyone so it's cool yeah and then even the uh media mess up of the dan cooper with the local petty criminal db cooper that made it even cooler because like dan cooper not that cool a name db cooper pretty cool a hundred percent i think that's the reason it sticks you know that's the reason why the people that are obsessed with this case the most he's still db cooper we all know that he never said that uh, Mm -hmm. but db cooper is just somehow cooler than dan cooper Another thing that is interesting in a lot of the confessions or people who have had people confess to them that you've had on your show or that I've like seen on the internet, when people confess, they do tend to say Dan Cooper. Is that correct? Or is it just like the few, like the little couple like Easter eggs that I've grabbed? I'd say it's probably 50-50. Okay. Um, some of them have said Dan Cooper. Some say D.B. Cooper. I don't think if they confess and say I'm D.B. Cooper that it takes away from the confession. Mm-hmm. I just um, thought it was an interesting wrinkle based on like the random sample I had, but doesn't really yeah, say it anything, definitely, I guess. It definitely is an interesting part of the story. Mm-hmm. So I know you've said it a couple times on your show, but do you have any suspects that stick out to you as either rock solid suspects that you're very interested in or and maybe especially the craziest suspects? It changes from time to time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so gullible that when I'm sitting across from someone and they're telling me about their suspect, like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm mm-hmm. totally in. I get it. Yeah, it was this guy. But it, it changes. I mean, Wolfgang Gossett, I think, is really interesting. And then Dwayne Weber is a suspect that I've dismissed in the past and then come back to and dismissed and like okay maybe there's some evidence here uh ted braden is another really good suspect i like some of the crazier ones uh ed edwards mm-hmm. he is essentially committed all of the unsolved crimes you've ever heard of and yeah, also i listened to that D. episode yeah. uh that that i'm not i'm not into that idea uh, the idea that Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers escaped from Alcatraz and then Frank Morris pulls off the D.B. Cooper heist. I'm not into that. I'm not into anyone connecting the Zodiac to D.B. Cooper. Very flimsy. I no. listened to all the ones that were obviously about serial killers being D.B. Cooper just because it's very rare that like good quote unquote like serial killers who are famous and have eluded capture for a time are also other types of criminals. Like there have been some, like, Israel Keys was also robbing banks and stuff like that. But it's just, like, you wouldn't expect, like, you wouldn't expect, like, a serial killer to be sitting cool, Tom collected and not, like, murdery. Especially, like, the Zodiac. Yeah. Yeah, I always point out the Zodiac killed people mm-hmm. and left their watches and wallets with them. D.B. Cooper hijacked this plane... Mm-hmm. got the money and never hurt anyone i mean completely different yeah it's and then like the so okay there's one of the reasons people it seems like t- want to do the zodiac cooper connection are the letters do you is there any evidence really that cooper wrote those letters i don't think so mm-hmm. he asked for his letters back on the plane right and then he's taunting why the would police. he then 
write a letter to the Ordonian. Very weird. Or the FBI. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't put any weight in the letter. And that's what the, um, is it the taste breakers who recently came out with their Zodiac suspect? And then they have like their Cooper suspect that is he the 27 year old who like just doesn't fit really who did the toppy cat or is that a different? Yeah. Robert Rackstraw. It's the same crew. So in that he's the same crew. Is he the one that carried out the, uh, dummy grenade toppy cat heist a couple months later? Or is that? A... No, that's Richard McCoy. Richard McCoy. Okay. Okay. They're the same age. Okay. That's why they're like similar. Apart, but... Both were in Vietnam and stuff like that too. They're like similar. Yes. Pro... Okay. That it's very hard to keep track because there's so many suspects tell me about it um yeah but so the rat straw just doesn't seem to work at all and the lengths they went to in their letters to break the code that doesn't exist was just like i don't know guys like what are we doing here doug perry at the oregonian he's the guy who writes about cooper every once in a while mm-hmm. when that rat straw stuff came out that the code breakers had done he went to uh, like two mathematicians and like a professional cipher. Mm-hmm. I read this article. Uh, yeah. And one of them said, you could make it say whatever you want. By right. Doing that. You can make it say, I am SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. I think it was that I am SpongeBob was the example he used. But it, yeah. And then they do the same thing with the Zodiac mm-hmm. ciphers. I mean, an anagram isn't a code. Right. You could make it say whatever you want. At least this time with Zodiac, they waited, they pit someone who was already dead to ruin their lives so i guess they learned a little bit <laughs> uh has anyone emailed you or contacted you on facebook whatever claiming to be db cooper no unfortunately. really that's a little surprising you said you've had like over a hundred thousand downloads right and no one's been like hey just so you know no big deal i'm db cooper i would be surprised if uh if someone who was db cooper listened to podcasts uh, Cooper would be in his mid nineties mm-hmm. about now, so probably not listening to the show. Right, but still, like no one. It's just weird that no one even tried to take you for a ride. You know, I've had I've had two or three people reach out to me, telling me their uncle, cousin, sister, my neighbor mm-hmm. was was Cooper, and I'll ask three questions and then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean that makes sense. But no, no personal confession. Interesting. I guess that that does make sense. The people in the yeah, I know. It would be but cool if, though if Cooper is listening to this show and would like to come on my show or my show. Yep. Come on both <laughs> and do a home and home. Is there anything that you think I'm missing that's like important to note? Well, we could talk about the name Dan Cooper. Okay. Oh, thank you. That is that. Yeah, thank you. Please carry on. Dan Cooper. He gives his name as Dan Cooper. And for the longest time, no one thought that meant anything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, someone makes this comic book connection. Hey, there was a comic book, Franco-Belgian comic book. It was printed in uh, printed in like French and it was printed in Spanish. I've seen it in, mm-hmm. but it wasn't printed in English. And not in the U.S. And, and not in the U.S. It was about uh, the name of the comic was Dan Cooper about a Royal Canadian Air Force pilot, like a stunt pilot, daredevil, superhero kind of guy. And there are images in these comic books of him jumping out of an exploding commercial airliner. There, He does a lot of parachuting mm-hmm. in these. So did D.B. Cooper choose the name Dan Cooper based on this comic book? Is an homage to that character. And I, of course, would like to say, yes, it's totally an homage to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if, if you boarded and robbed a train and you gave the alias Tony Hawk, then you rob it and escape on a skateboard, are they going to think, oh, he chose that name at random? It's a weird coincidence. It was an homage to Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. What, when was that um, the Dan Cooper comic published, like the run? The first appearances, I want to say it's like 1960. Okay. So it predates the skyjacking. Okay. But like a 30-year-old guy in like Berlin, you know, during the Cold War, like Europe in the Cold War, and then moved to Vietnam a little bit bitter, comes back. Like it could easily fit the profile of a guy that was in the army. 
Yeah, and if you are overseas and you don't speak the language and there's some reading material, this is pre-cell phone, so you can't just scroll right. Twitter when you're bored, uh, and there's some reading material on the table, you can't read a novel if you don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. But if there's a comic book, you could pick that up and get the gist of what's going on. So did he see that comic book overseas? Oh, this guy this is interesting. I don't know. I mean, is it was it pulled off by someone who is a huge fan of the comic book? Mm -hmm. That would be pretty interesting. I mean, that would just be funny. Maybe they were just like, hey, saw it in the comic ones. Let's see. Especially like that era. There was a lot of hysteria about comic books and the damage they were causing in society. So just be funny. What do you think, Thomas? Is the name an homage to the comic book? So, like you, for the longest time, just looking at it, it was just like Dan Cooper's almost as vanilla as like John Smith, so it's just an alias. And it's just like, on the one hand, it's such, it's like, you would think it's a leap, but it's so on the nose. You know what I mean? Like, it's so yes. close. But it's, I don't know, though. But like, I mean, what, like, how could it not be, like you said? It just seems so weird to pit Dan Cooper. And, like, but then again, it's, like, if I were, just, like, I guess. But, like, also, no, if you're, sorry, I'm rambling. But, like, if you're in America and you were in Europe for a time, you obviously most likely don't have a Dan Cooper comet with you. So it's not likely that your friends and family know you're a fan of this comet. So it's not too on the nose where they're going to be, like, oh, that's my like guy who's obsessed with this comic book <laughs> because like no one made the connection for what like 30 40 years yeah i mean so i guess if it was either a boeing executive or a soldier i would i would say yes but if it turns out not to be i would imagine like if we solved the case someone like it's like hey i'm db cooper here's the two hundred thousand dollars i'm about to die i don't care anymore i would and there weren't as special forces at any time, I would assume they had no idea about the comet. But if they were in the army, I would assume it also was the comet, if that makes sense. Do you think Cooper is special forces? I mean, based on the very little compared to like all the people who can say, it seems like it. I there was I forget his name. It was like um the fifth November uh, theory that it was like a revenge. Cooper has a grudge, I think. Revenge theory. Joe Lackage. Yes. And Bill Rollins theory. Yes. That was very compelling to me. And he that guy was special forces, right? His suspect? I don't know if he was special forces. But he was in the um, he was in Vietnam. He was a Vietnam vet. Or World War II. He was a Korean War Okay. Vet. Korean War, I think, or uh World War II might even be a better age range because he was forty in the seventies. Yeah, the witnesses, Tina Mucklow, she's 22 years old. She sat next to him for at least three hours. She she got a good look mm -hmm. at him. She lit his cigarettes. So she puts his age at mid to late 40s, uh, as do some other stewardesses. And, you know, if he's 27, Tina would realize, hey, the guy sitting next to me, he's five years old. Yeah. About. Right. She um, was in her no, 20s. She, she, she would know. She must have been 25 years older than me. And she, like, I mean, like you said, she's stewardess in the 70s. She's getting hit on by 40-year-old dudes every day. Like, oh, yeah. Like, she knows what these guys look like. I don't... That's why, like, the people who are Ratstraw and the other guy make no sense. No, they really don't. And, and if Cooper is in his mid to late 40s, he's most likely not a Vietnam veteran. Right. He would be World War II or Korean Right, and it's but like so. Korean War is forgotten about because Vietnam was so polarizing. But the Vietnam vets didn't get a lot of love from him back either. So you know, he comes back, he sees it happening again in Vietnam. That could be like a lot of bitter revenge coming up type of stuff. Like, so I I do think it was probably uh, Cooper was probably a veteran of some sort. Oh yeah, I mean, most men were. That's I, true. If you grabbed in 1971 just grabbed everyone between 40 and 55 70 plus percent of those men 80 percent of those men would be veterans and that's another interesting thing about why are there so many suspects mm -hmm. in, is because the description is so generalized of men that age mm -hmm. at that time 
He's like five foot ten to six foot one. He's 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. He has the same haircut every other man that age has. He's wearing a suit and tie. A lot of dudes did mm-hmm. at that point in time. So it's just so vague and you know smoked and drank mm-hmm. okay most so, men did at that time right. i read a uh profile that like a criminal profile of him that was suggesting that because of the particles found on his tie and because of the amount that he smoked that he wasn't actually this cool like the clip on side they like he was a factory foreman and he was nervous pulling off his first crime just like slamming sage it's like pretty much everyone was slamming sage back then but the tithe. Yeah, it wasn't that crazy. Five. No, he smoked eight cigarettes in around five hours. Right. Which, if you're super stressed and a heavy smoker, you would have smoked more than that. Right. But the tithe thing is interesting with the particles that they found. And uh, I've heard some people suggest that he was Canadian, maybe because of how flat his accent was and accentless. And does that carry any weight for you? you like either the Thai or it the very Canadian well could. Thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not aware of a bunch of people pushing Canadian suspects. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you have a theory that your suspect was Australian. I would listen to mm-hmm. it. I mean, I'm, I'm down here, whatever, but I'm not hearing anyone really push a, a Canadian suspect. And, you know, there are reports Cooper had olive skin mm-hmm. or he was swarthy Generally not uh, a description you give to Canadians. Very true. Very true. It's also weird. Um, so when you look at the pictures, his ears seem to kind of stick out a little bit and maybe be an identifying feature. But then when you see the suspects, a lot of people look like him, just like in the face with the glasses. And that's another thing that all the suspects say is that, oh, my God, he put sunglasses on. and He was a spinning image of D.B. Cooper. It's amazing. I said on the show once. You know, the reason every suspect matches the sketch. First of all, there's two different sketches. Mm-hmm. or There's more than that, but there's two primary sketches that are different. You have the Bing Crosby sketch and you have the Cary Grant sketch. Mm-hmm. And so you could match your suspect to one of those two. And there is weirdly a few that are kind of similar to both sketches, which seems impossible, but I've seen it. But I said on the show... These sketches are so generic, and all the men at this time look this way. Mm-hmm. If you pull up a picture of your grandfather, he looks just like D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. And I got a couple emails. You're right. And one person sent me a picture of the sketch next to their grandfather, mm-hmm. and it was a dead ringer. And she's like, I know he's not Cooper, but you're right. He looks just like and There's been a couple people, like, um, including, I think, FBI agents, or like maybe the Watergate guy, who have been like, yes, I do look just like him, but it wasn't me. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, John List, mm-hmm. who murdered his whole family and then started a new life somewhere mm-hmm. else, he looked a lot like the sketch, and he disappeared a few weeks before mm-hmm. the hijacking. And he certainly would have needed money. So there was kind of a theory, I think, floated around for a while that John List could potentially be D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. John List gets found. He ends up confessing to murdering his whole family, but says, I'm not D.B. Cooper. So I don't know about you, Thomas, but it seems like it'd be a lot easier for me to confess to being Cooper right. than to murdering my family. Right. So that, that says to me, John List isn't Cooper. Plus, he really couldn't have pulled it off. He was a, a square dude, and he had like a, a foot problem mm-hmm. at the time. He wore these Coke bottle glasses. He wasn't, he wasn't Cooper. Yeah. That was one of my questions. Like, why are there so many plausible suspects? And it is because the worst possible sketch of them. Yeah. It's not just the sketch, but everything about Cooper matches a lot of dudes at that time period. You can match him to the sketch and he was in the military and he was a parachutist and he drank and he smoked Raleigh cigarettes and he completely matches the description. And he had this weird money that I couldn't account for. Mm-hmm. The um, how generic he was, I think, speaks to both the possibility that it was a master criminal, but also maybe it was just a normal dude. Because if you were a master criminal, you would make sure to be so on the nose and being the average every guy in every respect. But then also, if you're like, like you've been saying, that's just what people did back then. Yeah. And 
what effort did he go to to disguise himself? Mm-hmm. Sunglasses, that's it. Sunglasses. And he boards the plane without him, hands the note without okay. him. Okay, see, that was my and question. Then, yeah, and then he puts the sunglasses on after that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Tina sits next to him again for at least three hours, four hours. And she doesn't say, oh, yeah, he was wearing makeup. If you're a 22-year-old woman, you've been wearing makeup for at least six years every single day. You would notice if the man next to you was also wearing makeup. Especially, like, I would assume makeup wasn't as good at being hidden back then. Yeah, especially how many makeup products were there for dudes mm-hmm. and how many dudes could apply makeup. Maybe it actually was Cary Grant. <laughs> the North by Northwest film. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I have not. Was he in that? I had a Cary Grant. That's is, funny. Yeah. See, he did it. He's a lead character. And there are some weird similarities to that movie. And he gets drunk in the movie. He looks like Cooper. I had a, a gentleman on my show who was like, you know, there are some weird connections to that. Maybe he was he was like a that was grip. one of his inspirations for the hijacking ones. I'm gonna pull it off mm-hmm. just like Cary Grant, North by Northwest. And and the airline was Northwest. I think it was it was Cary Grant. I solved it. But that there is like this weird duality with every piece of supposed evidence. It's like, you know, the bomb was real. The bomb wasn't real. He did survive. He didn't survive. Like everything can be flipped both ways, which is also why it remains unsolved. Oh yeah, it's so weird. Like I mean, all of these details are debated nonstop. I mean, there are there's two different forums you can go on to discuss DB Cooper, mm-hmm. and both of them. I mean, there are groups of people commenting on them twenty four hours a day, and I'm reading all that, and they're debating minutia on the flight path <laughs> 50 years later they're debating it all day long i mean it's cool it must like being that passionate you know it's nice to have something that you love that much <laughs> or it's just the vortex you get sucked in and you cannot escape that's why i've been kind of careful not to dive in i think i'll just keep to listening to your podcast podcast and that's it because it's just it's well, too scary that. Because it's just like, you're going to get hooked. I can tell I would get hooked on this. Because you've read them all, seen it all, do you have any specific recommendations for books or documentaries people could check out or should check out, like a starting point and then where to go from there maybe? Yes, absolutely. First of all, documentaries. I'll say none of them are outstanding. Mm -hmm. They're all pretty good. But most of them have an angle. Right. So you'll watch one and come away thinking, oh, it's Kenny Christensen. He's obviously D.B. Cooper. I watched the show. Mm-hmm. So I don't have many I'd point out. There's a YouTuber called Let Me Know. He did a a D.B. Cooper episode that I think is actually pretty good. And it's about 20 minutes on YouTube. It's free. Mm-hmm. As far as books, I definitely have some recommendations. Okay. If you don't know anything about the case, I would recommend you get Skyjacked by Jeffrey Gray. If you know a lot about the case or think you know a lot about the case, I would recommend D.B. Cooper and the FBI by Bruce Smith. Absolutely outstanding book. If you think D.B. Cooper died in the jump, he didn't survive. I would recommend Marty Andrade's Finding D.B. Cooper, Chasing the Last One. Also an exceptional book. And there's a new one coming out. I just got an advanced copy of uh, D.B. Cooper and Flight 305 by Dr. Robert Edwards. And it will be out next month. It'll be out November. Uh, I think around the 24th. Don't quote me on that one. But it'll be out November. That's the 50th anniversary. Outstanding book. Yes, Very 50th cool. anniversary is next month, November 24th. Um, Bruce, it's Bruce Smith, right? Yep, Bruce Smith. He, of all the people that, I mean, that they're all very compelling and they all are absolutely convinced that they have the guy. And, it's, I mean, Bruce doesn't really posit a guy. He just I talks about the story from what I've heard. But just something about the way he talks is so compelling and, like, you just want to hear him pontificate about D.B. Cooper forever. Or anything. Right. I mean, I'm so lucky that I can call Bruce a friend 
he is a great guy. He's a smart guy, compassionate guy. And he just, as far as D.B. Cooper, I mean, he knows everything. He's talked to everyone. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's fair. Like you said, he doesn't have a suspect that he is pushing, but he will listen to what you have to say and he'll decide uh, based on everything he knows in the case, whether he thinks your theory is good or mm -hmm. not. And I believe his judgment is very sound. I'm a big fan of Bruce Smith. Yeah. I've started reading his book. I don't know if I'll finish it because I've, like I said, I don't want to get sucked into this and start trying to come up with my own suspects. But um, from what I've read, which is like 30-ish pages, very good. good. I'm glad you bought his book. It's it's. I, I got on Kindle Unlimited. I consider it the Bible on the case. I mean, I will be reading another D.B. Cooper book and read something and think, uh, mm -hmm. let me check that against Bruce's. <laughs> Right, because he did all of the deep dives before the FBI files were available. He did every other possible piece of evidence that he could get his hands on and talked to every like yes. got almost threatened to leave people's houses. He was so persistent. Oh, for sure. And he's his uh the third edition of that book will be out next month also in November. Okay. So check that out. Be people. sure to pick that up also. So seems like DB Cooper, huge part of your life. 50-ish, over 50 episodes deep at this point. What are your interests outside of the Cooper case? I love cars. Okay. I love building shit. And right now, football. Oh, yep. Are you a Broncos fan? Um, I try to be a Broncos fan now that I am in the, in Denver, mm -hmm. but I love the Seahawks. Okay. And then my sister lives just outside Kansas City, and the Chiefs are really fun to watch also. Mm -hmm. So the Broncos would probably be number three on my list. Mm -hmm. Seahawks, then Chiefs, then Broncos. Oh, the Broncos are doing better. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a really I'm well. a Giants fan, so I saw firsthand how well they're doing. <laughs> what about you? What do you do outside the show? Um, a little bit of everything. I mean, so the whole point of the show is that I'm interested in everything, and so I don't have like a set topic or focus. So I'm into like some a little bit of true crime but like the paranormal stuff i like unsolved mysteries in general which is why i had a surface level knowledge of db cooper are you a ghostbusters fan um like the movie or like ghost hunter shows like the movie um i don't i haven't seen the first like the original one in a long time i've never i've, I've seen it oh. just a long time uh, i haven't seen the new one which is bad and then the paul rudd one looks good but so no, not really. That's medium. Yeah, I can't wait for the new Ghostbusters movie. That looks... I'm a huge Ghostbusters okay. fan. What, is there a Cooper connection there? No, okay. there's not. Okay. Uh, super into comics, so I want to check out Tom Sullivan's uh, graphic novel of the Cooper case. That seems interesting. It was really good. I mean, it's, it's for children, mm -hmm. but it's really good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be giving it as a gift to lots of different people, lots of different people's kids. It's for kids, but comics are cool, even if they are younger ones. I love comics. That's one of the new things There's I've discovered. There's a D.B. Cooper comic book. Oh, is there? By uh, Brian Trilla, Tria. I'm sorry if I'm butchering, butchering your name, Brian. But yeah, there's a D.B. Cooper comic. Mm -hmm. um, the story of D.B. Cooper, I think. The mysterious story. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's out there, and it's uh, a dark comic. But oh, it's nice. Really I'll good. check that out. See if it's on anything. Um, but yeah, like that type of like nerdy stuff, like comets, comet movies, comet shows. Uh, I mean, I was a history major, so like history, pretty much like pretty much everything I'm super into. I did super into sports. I did two, two and a half hour NBA preview episodes that are going to come out Monday and Sunday and Monday, something like that. So just like pretty much everything I'm super into. <laughs> Who's your NBA team? The Nets, but like since I was five, so I come by it on this since like Jason Kidman's Carter. Okay, I'll approve of that mm -hmm. then. I suffered. If you would have just said years. Nets, I would just oh screw that. No, I am a lifelong Portland Trailblazers fan. The uh, guy I had on is a lifelong Blazers fan, so we talked about them for a while. Their whole yeah, I love the Blazers. I can't wait for this season. Mm -hmm. you... I'm so glad like all those Lillard trade rumors mm -hmm. drove me crazy. Because wow. Portland hasn't had a real 
like legit all-star mm-hmm. since Clyde Drexler. I mean, Brandon Roy and Rashid Wallace, they both made the all-star team, mm-hmm. but they weren't starters. Right. And Brandon Roy got like shot in his prime, basically. He will, he could have been special. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that's, I mean, I'm excited for them. We've talked about Larry Nance Jr. for a long time and just like the random upgrades on the fringes. Uh, so like your bench is better, stuff like that. So I'm super excited for the NBA season. The only thing I am angry about this season is the Lakers. Yeah. I just, oh, it makes me so mad. Every, <laughs> all the, every great player, oh, I'll just join the Lakers. Mm. championship so it'll be interesting to see how they do this year i hope they do terrible i hope they do absolutely terrible and lose every game i'm right there with you he's his um the guy i had on his second team is the lakers because his wife is a lakers fan so it was i didn't get to hate on the lakers as much as i would like to because like some of my earliest memories are the lakers killing the nets in the finals and then the spurs are my first real memory so i hate the lakers and the spurs so much yeah, me too. Uh, being in the Western Conference, mm-hmm. the Spurs, especially in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, and then in you know 2000 when Portland completely melted down in the Western Conference Finals against LA. I remember sitting on my grandpa's couch watching that game with him on like a 25-inch Zenith console TV, and just be like, "What the hell is happening? No, <laughs> no." Yeah, those stick with you. Oh, yeah. All right. So I have two more questions for you, and then I'll get out of your hair. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Do you have a favorite heist movie? You sent me these questions in advance. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but this was the only one where I really had to think about it. Okay. And I've been thinking about it since you sent this to me, Mm -hmm. and I have two. Okay. One is Inception, which is a great movie. Mm -hmm. The other one is Sneakers. With Dan Aykroyd and Robert Redford and okay. Sidney Poitier. Have you seen that movie? Uh, no, but I'll add it to the list now because I'm trying to like do a huge compendium of these sneakers. Sneakers is a great movie. I think it's from like 93 or something like that. Okay. But it was a movie that it, it wasn't rated R, so I was allowed to watch it as a child. And I just remember thinking, that's so cool. They pulled that off and it's just weird ragtag group of dudes with different skill sets and great movie. I highly recommend it. I'll definitely check that out because as, so this is probably the third episode of this season, third, fourth, as listeners probably know by now, they should, if they're listening at the end of the season, I'm doing a big draft with some of my friends. We're going to draft the perfect heist movie crews. So I'm trying to watch all of them so that I can, and there are a million, so it's almost impossible, but I want to have like a, great list of guys we can draft guys and girls so definitely gonna check out sneakers good i'm glad to add that to the list i doubt anyone else will say sneakers Mm -hmm. that yeah we'll see we'll see (laughs) so for the final question and i i pride myself on this question and i think it's gonna stump you just as much do you believe in bigfoot no i don't okay i don't um Having grown up in the area, Mm -hmm. I have heard from many men that I have the utmost respect and trust for who I believe would never lie to my face, tell me about their encounters with Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're in the woods, especially in the Pacific Northwest where it's really thick and you're pushing through it, and there are creatures out there that could fuck you up Mm -hmm. that are real that are documented if bigfoot was real there'd be some evidence by now everyone on the planet has like a 4k camera with zoom modes in their pocket they could if bigfoot was real there would be people who have instagram filters on him posted Mm -hmm. there's just he's not real okay no bigfoot okay yeah i mean i think that's like 50 50 people Saying that I it'd probably be fifty and then twenty five, twenty five, twenty five percent say I don't know, twenty five percent say yes. I'm amazed the variety of people that say Bigfoot's real. Mm-hmm. The, the I don't know people, those people are boring. I either want yes or no. 
to be completely real, yes or no. Mm-hmm. The people who say yes, I mean, I've encountered so many different people from your typical like Mountain Dew drinking hillbilly who of course believes in in Bigfoot mm-hmm. to people with serious degrees who I respect, who are very intelligent, who are like, I think Bigfoot's real. So that's that's one thing I find really interesting about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just... He's fun, but no, he's not real. Do you think he's real? I waffle back and forth because it's... There is... Because I'm, like, sort of in that vortex, if you will. Uh, (laughs) So there is, like, a lot of seemingly compelling evidence and, like, mostly just the footprint evidence, but also, like, the Patterson-Dimlin film, which I know some people are just, like, outright out on, but I've watched enhanced, slowed-down footage where you can, like, see the muscles move and it holds up to a degree that, like, when they shot it all shaky cam and stuff, they didn't know we'd be able to slow down the footage frame by frame and, like, stabilize it and make it actually visible. And it still isn't, you can't rule it out 50 years later and, like, all this stuff. And then all, some of the stories you hear, it's like, okay, either that person is lying, which is possible, but it'd be really weird for them to go out of their way to contact a paranormal show, like, corner them at a booth at a paranormal conference and make up this story or it's real and it's just like okay so either we have like a lot of really 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 weird people just wandering around and are very good at hiding it or there's something going on and i don't know what that something is uh, but it's like there's weirdly compelling stuff that makes me question it i think there are times where spooky things happen mm-hmm. when you're in the woods when you feel vulnerable mm-hmm. And people interpret that in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I got lost two summers ago on a hike, and I was on a trail the whole time with my girlfriend, so we weren't lost lost, but we went the wrong way, and we ended up walking 25 miles on a five-mile hike. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm, like, deep in the woods. We haven't seen anyone in hours. And so you're, like, you're thirsty, you're hungry, all that stuff. Your senses are on high alert. And a couple weird things happened. Like, once we heard a laugh, and so we stopped to see, like, someone would come up and we'd be like, hey, what trail are we on? We waited for, like, 20 minutes and the laugh was, like, super close. No one came. So that was kind of weird. And then later on we were walking and I heard, and I think it was, like, a mockingbird or something, but it was like, hey, 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 over and over. And it was, hey. It wasn't, like, a weird, like, I think it was probably a mockingbird topping someone that said, hey, that it learned when it was a baby or something. But it was weird. Like, weird stuff happens, and it there are explanations for it. But when you're spooked out, it's like, I don't know. So I do think a lot, like, maybe the most, even, like, 99% of these encounters are misidentifications and, like, all that stuff. But it's still weird, like, when we find footprints all the way out in the woods and then a anthropology expert who, like, his expertise is the evolution of primate locomotion... Is like, yeah, that's like an actual real footprint of something. It's like, okay, that's weird. Why is that happening? Yeah, I'm I'm not into into Bigfoot at all. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot's totally not real. <laughs> I solved that case. Okay. But you know, I'm not I'm not a ghost fan either. Mm-hmm. I'm not a paranormal fan. I'm not a true crime fan. But I am super into DB Cooper. Mm-hmm. So you interact so with those people a lot. I interact with those people all the time. And I've most of the shows outside of my own that I've been on have been on Bigfoot, mm-hmm. UFO, Ghosts, oh, and DB Cooper, mm-hmm. or uh, the occasional show that does exclusively just true crime. But neither of those genres are are ones th- that I'm really into. The only subject that I would be real interested in there is UFOs. Mm-hmm. UFOs, I'm sold on that. Okay. Right. I mean, yeah. At this point, I think we all have to be. Yeah, we've got to be now. I hoped it was real my whole life, but now, now we have some some pictures mm-hmm. and some testimony. Mm-hmm. I'm super into that. That is interesting, though. That your the like almost your target audience is stuff that you're not into because I would imagine a lot of your listeners are also people like me who are into the even weirder stuff than D.B. Cooper. Like, D.B. Cooper is probably the weirdest, like, the most normal interest a lot of people, uh, a lot of your listeners have. 
I would agree. I had uh, this gentleman, I was trying to get him on the show because he was saying a lot of really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to him, trying to be a little vague here. And so I reached out to him and was like, hey, I'd be interested in talking to you and, and maybe getting you on the show. I gave him my phone number and then I hear nothing back. Like six months goes by, I'm mowing the lawn and my phone rings and I stand there, I answer it and it's this guy Mm -hmm. and he starts talking and he did not stop talking. I mean, for like an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and I just stood there leaning against my lawnmower while he talked and immediately adventured off into all these connections that db cooper has with the jfk assassination and the gulf of tonka and the the cia and these missing people and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and it got so wild and outlandish and i was really struggling to follow how he was jumping from one connection to the other and i just stood there like what the hell am i doing with my life and you've like I'm not interested in any of this stuff. You've had some people who I will say have made some leaps in logic on your show. Yeah, I had a gentleman on my show who said that uh, Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers killed twenty thousand people. That's just not. I'm. That's like well, like okay. Here's a question for you: Is it more likely that that is true, or that Wilt Chamberlain slept with twenty thousand women? I think that's the number he claims. Uh, the Will Chamberlain story is more likely, in my opinion. That's, but, I'm right I there. Mean, the idea that you could kill 20,000 people. 20,000. It's just like, what, how? No, you'd Three have to people? be like president to kill 20,000 people. Right. That's, I mean, I don't want to be rude to the, the gentleman who said that, but that's that bottles the mind, I will say. Yeah. I also had a gal on who uh, said that D.B. Cooper lowered himself out of the plane with fishing line and landed on the mountains outside Reno. Was it like salmon fishing line? Because that's pretty tough. I don't know if, if that's as tough as landing on the ground during 200 miles an hour. That's funny. Um, real quick, I forgot to ask this earlier and all. Uh, do you think the FBI is covering up D.B. Cooper and is is it because, like, embarrassment that they couldn't figure it out or they, they miss an obvious suspect at the time? I don't think the FBI is, is covering it up mm-hmm. or is involved on it. Maybe there's some slim chance there's some CIA operative who knew who D.B. Cooper was, but for whatever reason had to sweep it under the rug. I'm not saying that's, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that maybe that could be theoretically possible. Mm-hmm. But... I would say half the people who come on my show say the FBI is incompetent and they suck and they didn't do anything right. And then the other half think the FBI did a good job. Mm -hmm. And I'd say I lean towards, I think the FBI did a good job. Maybe I'll say they they did an okay job. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they did anything wrong or cover anything up. The FBI files, you can read through them. And you can get a really good idea of what was going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think those are super curated. There's obvious omissions in there, but I mean, a lot of that you can kind of see what was there. Someone's name, it was someone's address. Right. I mean, at, kind of at this point, 50 years later, all the, like, it'd be impossible to do something similar now. There's really no harm in rele- like, releasing unfiltered documents. And has, has the statute of limitations run out on this, or is there an exception for uh, our guy specifically? Well, I, if they I are thought alive. there would have been a statute of limitations on air piracy being seven years. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, theoretically, he kidnapped all those people, even mm. though they didn't know that. So I've talked to uh, a couple of different lawyers on the show, and, you know, they've said basically the statute of limitations doesn't matter what he did. Mm-hmm. He could have been prosecuted. But what the FBI did do when the statute of limitations for air piracy was running out, Mm -hmm. they filed a John Doe indictment. John Doe was actually indicted for air piracy. Mm -hmm. And so they just need to figure out who John Doe was. And then he was already guilty. Mm -hmm. 
Alrighty. But I don't, I don't think if he came forward today, uh, I had a lawyer on the show saying because the FBI lost the cigarette butts that they had mm-hmm. or destroyed them based on some FBI files, that uh, that's exculpatory evidence. And so you couldn't prosecute him just based on that because mm-hmm. the cigarette butts could show that, no, it was actually uh, Thomas Boomhauer's grandfather that pulled this off yep. and not me. I believe it, you know, can't prove he didn't. It. No, I can't. I don't know if he, I think he's too young. Would have been too young. Um, but yeah, that's all I have for you. <laughs> um, I'm super grateful for you for coming on, going through this with me. It's there's a lot. Uh, anyone interested in DP Trooper, definitely check out the Trooper Vortex. Uh, there's all manner of guests, and no matter what, they're interesting. That's the, what you know you're getting into. You'll be like, okay, here's this two and a half hour episode. That says that D.B. Cooper was the Atlanta child murderer. He was the Zodiac killer. He was everybody you can think of. No way am I going to listen to more than 10 minutes. Nope, you're listening to the whole thing. Yeah, and my show, I don't have a suspect. I don't have a theory mm-hmm. I'm pushing. I don't have an angle. You can listen to someone's theory on my show and decide for yourself who's telling the truth and who's not. It's up to the listener to decide what's going on in this case, not me, because I don't know. Right. No no one does. Uh, so where do people find your show? You can find my show wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Overcast, whatever you're listening to them on, the Cooper Vortex. And then we have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check us out. It's a dope show, in my unbiased opinion. It really is. I am so glad I did this season and ended up checking out your show because like, I mean, I reached out to you a week ago today. I've listened to 10 episodes. Like I'm cranking through them and they're like, they're usually pretty long. So like, that's pretty good. Like it's, it's a really good show. Um, if you're interested in true crime, if you're interested in unsolved mysteries and specifically, like I said earlier, if you're interested in DB Cooper, check this out. You're going to get all the suspects. You're going to get all the evidence everything you can think of it's going to be on there and it's like darren's an awesome interviewer so definitely just check it out thanks man i appreciate it all right people thank you for tuning in and listening as always if you did what you're hearing make sure you hop on the podcast platform of your choice drop five star ratings reviews all that good stuff follow the podcast on instagram at high key underscore obsessed underscore podcast and on twitter at high key o podcast and there i'm posting memes reviews like videos i've been doing weird stuff it's just all good stuff all good stuff so until next time guys catch y'all 